This is session seven, if you will, of our One Another Soul Care on the Body of Christ talk. We went through the Three Trees model, and so every time, every week, I trust that you understand the repetition is there just to bring it forward again each time, just so that it, it becomes by just simply repetition something ingrained in your mind. But we move to something new in the sense that we move through how you use that model in different settings in life. And well, we moved into relationships, and three weeks ago, we talked about relationships and we had a situation where we had a fictitious Adam and Eve fighting over money that landed on their lap and they were rejoiceful for five minutes and then argued for five weeks straight until they sought counseling and we had that little fun with it and we kind of walked all the way through the three trees and how you counsel you know a person to to see their heart issues the Lord gave them this money and it caused conflict because it revealed their heart and what they treasure more than him to to treasure the situation of that it revealed their heart and they could take this opportunity to grow together and how you counsel them together what passages of scripture if you weren't there we have a copy of the slides we want to see how you worked all the way through but remember the last slide the last slide is when does counseling end not simply when they stop fighting not simply when they say oh, i think we'll handle this better in the future no at the end where the two of them can go through wisdom and a couple of you jumped on that book right away that i had here written by my friend dave swavely on decision making and the will of god and how to make those wise decisions and he flows through the scripture and the wisdom view and at the end that the couple can say okay we worked on this together with help from others in the church and maybe financial planning and all that kind of stuff and wisdom. And at the end of the day, they can look at each other and say, yes, this plan, what to do with this money, glorifies God who gave it to us. But also that the wife could look at her husband and say, you know, through this process, I've learned that I've seen my husband learn to love me like Christ loved the church. And likewise, the husband can say, you know, through this whole process, I've seen her grow to respect me as I've led through this decision. So that was the end of counseling. And today, likewise, I'm going to hit the very end right from the beginning. And that is, you might say, wow, what you presented, I need more than I can give. So why do we call this a one anothering? Because both are true. You both need and you have the obligation to give. So if you need this one anothering, get it. Once you've got it, 2 Corinthians 1, and what Stephen David talked about 11 days ago, Hebrews 3.13, calls you to give it. That paracoletal, when you come along with others and say, I've been there, I've struggled with that, and you have the joy and obligation out of delight for the Lord to come alongside somebody else struggling with that. Do you need it? Yes. Different times of life, we always need it. Uh, but once you have it, that grace you've received, give comfort in those settings where they're suffering and admonition when they need that encouragement not to fall into sin. Both Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another, is the word parakaleo. And in Second Corinthians 1, when you've got comfort, the word is also parakaleo. So that's one of the great words that we learned at the beginning. Okay, so where are we going here? That's a little bit of the review where we were three weeks ago. Okay, a model. What is a model? How many here have put together IKEA things? <laughs> but you know what a model is, and how does it help? Well, I like IKEA. I have more IKEA in my home. I don't know what Lucy thinks of that, but anyway, I put on an awful lot of those together. And how many have had screws and divots and cams at the end? And you wonder where in the world did I miss? What is a good model? Well, little components here. First, well, what do you see on the left? What's that a representation of? 
what it's supposed to look like when you're all done. If it doesn't look like that, run. Okay. What's another one up at the top? Tools you need. I live a long way from my brother and he has everything, so I'm really out of it now. I don't really have anybody really good to borrow all the tools and then try to remember to return them. But you know that story too. So all that you need to put it together. So a model will teach you those things as well. Then, well, there's another thing there. What's that? There's two axes there. Yeah, right way and wrong way. Warning, watch this, you do that. Yeah, okay, you got it. And then finally, why do you have three pictures down on the right-hand side? It's a little bit of, well, most IKEA thing has 62 pages depending on the complexity of the bookcase you're putting together, right? But something of the sense of the process. Sometimes you look at them and say, oh, well, I can put the top and sides together and then the top. It doesn't matter. I can do things in reverse order. But then you see some things that have to be done in a certain order, right? So a recipe is not really a schematic model. When you're going across town and you're using Google Maps, you can't decide to do all the left turns first. You end up in California or someplace worse, like Jersey or something like that. Okay. Okay, so that was our model. Okay, uh, that's the full one. You got a full copy of that. If you didn't, if you weren't here that Sunday, that's the full thing. And we, we went all the way through. That's all my annotations. And if you had that book or read the article by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, it just basically does the center. That's lifted right out of the scriptures of Psalm 1, Jeremiah 17, and John 7. And they only added the feedback loops because that's all over the Bible. The feedback loops were bad ones and the good ones. So they added that. And then I just went to the length of <laughs> adding two more things because I had classes with all these guys. And immediately after they finished that, they start talking about relationships. And they wrote this book, Relationships, a Mess Worth Making. Very, very good book. And then Refuge, and featured a couple of books by Ed Welsh at Westminster as well on addictions and depressions and so forth, and you deal with that. Whatever's on this side is also on the other side, and so that's part of the model. You figure out where in the world you're all messed up here and address it on the other side. So that means, aha, you get the idea. It tells you and reminds you where to go and where it looks like at the end. That's why I just recapped three weeks ago. What does it look like when we left Adam and Eve with the money? We leave them worshiping because sin is a worship disorder and you end with worship. John Piper wrote a wonderful book on mission called Let the Nations Be Glad. And his one sentence definition is missions exist because worship doesn't. So you saw those prayers that we pray that worship would be a breakout in the, in the sons and daughters of the Taliban to the living Christ, right? Counseling exists. One another counseling exists. One another's. Remember we started week one with all those blooms of the one another's? The one another's exist to retrieve, restore, strengthen, and establish worship. Do you see that? Because ultimately sin is a worship disorder. Well, I have in your handout here just a simpler one because... You actually received, if you were here a couple weeks ago, that fully annotated one. Two big reminders here as we then jump back into relationships. Number one, understanding behavior as worship. Well, we just simply said that. From Jeremiah 17, one of those ultimate things you always have to remember is that life events, stressors, don't cause your sin. So we looked at the cup getting pressured and water coming out. We looked at the Lassie story. Remember that stressor where drunk drivers come over and kill Lassie right in front of you? Terrible, shocking thing. But we looked at a 5-year-old, a 25-year-old, and a 45-year-old, and an 85-year-old. 
with the same stressors and they all had different responses. All bad, mind you, but different levels. So that showed you what happened in the heart of treasure and belief affected what happened. That was the way to intelligently understand what's going on in the heart. The heat, the stressors, both blessing, like the couple Adam and Eve getting thousands of dollars landed on their lap, that blessing as well as trials and adversities are both things that reveal our heart. What comes out is dependent on what we treasure and whom we trust. So X up there, the thorns, fear, anger, guilt, shame, bitterness, regret, you know, the, the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, in the root, or I kind of put it in the trunk of the thorn tree there, and the behaviors that flow out the top are ultimately due to a frustrated heart of a self-centered would-be God when things and people fail to bring contentedness. This is Romans 1. When you turn away from the living God, you cast your hope, set your heart on things below. Now you say, well, this never happens to a Christian, right? We're just happy, happy, happy all day long until we all get to heaven. Well, no. Why we have in the New Testament all those exhortions, right? And why we have Hebrews 3.13, as Stephen Davis so wonderfully preached to us on Wednesday night 11 days ago, was because we need to be warned against the deceitfulness of sin and the wonderful, glorious supremacy and all goodness and enjoyableness of Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. So on the other side again, blessings and trials don't automatically make us holy either. Okay, the fruit and behavior of love, joy, peace and the behavior that flows from that is a result of a satisfied heart that grows in both treasuring, trusting, loving Savior and Lord. So that's the heart of understanding the active, worshiping heart under the sun. So before we're saved, the Lord uses blessings and trials to make us seek him. And then after we're saved, he transforms those trials and blessings into that which transforms us into the image of Christ. You see that? The all-sovereign, loving, wise God. The only wise God. So we're going to jump back into relationships. The second thing we learn from the model is sanctification. I like this verse here. 2 Corinthians 3.18. Twain, could you read that right out loud? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Thank you. So understanding how people change, kind of covered that already. The other phrase that you've heard me use to summarize counsel, the cross at the bottom, who Christ is, his all-satisfactory love for you, worked out in your life, Christ-centered, word-based, heart change. It's not that behavior is not a focus, it's just not the most important thing. Okay. In other words, the biblical means of worship restoration. Remember, there's two words used in Romans 14 for counseling. Nuthetic, restoration, when you're really, Galatians chapter 6, caught in the sin. And the more common word, which is I, what I've been laboring on, is the worship strengthening or establishing, which is the paracleto word in the New Testament, which is found an awful lot in including 2 Corinthians 1 and Hebrews 313, the two that I just quoted a few moments ago. Now, here we come back to our biblical IKEA model with an X on it. Three Hershey's chocolate bars to anybody here. 
who can tell me what the X means here. Now, what we were going to do, Lucy and I weren't able to kind of put together last night to make it funny here, for a funny way of remembering. But there's an arrow from the thorns, just the obvious here, straight to fruit, and an X. So the wise people in Sweden are telling you that you can't put together biblical counseling with that. What is that? What's that referring to? Secular counseling? Well, yeah, you said secular? Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, okay, secular counseling. I didn't anticipate that, but you're absolutely right. I have multiple quotes. I, when I teach the class, I, I pull in there. I could keep going on quotes. So they're basically saying, you can put off this fear, anxiety, and different social disorders by just stopping it. You train your mind, you do this, you do that, so it's mind things. And some of those things work in a sense of you, you know, kind of survive through a stress, but you don't thrive. Jesus wants you at the end of the day to thrive. Do you see that? You thrive for his glory. You don't simply survive. That doesn't mean you feel wonderful, but you are glorifying him. So can you go from thorn right to fruit? No. No, you can't. It may work. And in our example that we're going to watch today, that is exactly the danger where this couple starts. They think they can go straight through. I quoted Paul Tripp. And in class, he often brings in a plastic fruit, like an apple. And he gets one of those wonderful staplers you know, that you use, men, you know. And he just goes, he literally, in the lecture hall, goes over and just pulls it and staples it to the wall. He says, well, that's my fruit tree. No, it isn't a fruit tree. It's a plastic apple that you stapled on something that looks like a tree. Okay? can't do that. So it's through the cross. Okay? That's the end of the review. Would I be correct then in saying that God is using these life circumstances to sanctify me, but my focus is not my sanctification, but my focus is Christ, my worship. I think the Second Corinthians 3 verse is as beholding his glory, we are transformed. So the word worship is not there, but I think as we're transformed, we reflect his glory, beholding his glory. And that's a short form verse for uh, Paul talking about reflecting his glory. What, what does that actually mean? What is it of Jesus that transforms us? And as he transforms us, getting to know him, trust him, and treasure him, we're worshiping him. Is that a good enough answer? It's both and. Because it seems like what you're saying and what I've seen is that if my focus is my transformation, then there's failure. But if my focus is him, then he succeeds in working through me. Yeah, I think so. I'm going to just jump ahead to a couple of weeks from now when we talk about what we call the means of grace. And I got talking to you about that, so I'm just going to quote one thing for everyone here. And So when we consider the church attendance, prayer, Bible study, all these other means of grace, journaling and things that you do, the means of grace, the, 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 the transformational power of doing those things is in the grace, not in the doing. So you take... Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it. God who works in you both the will and the do of his good pleasure. You do, but there can be a subtle movement to trust what you're doing. Sort of like having a Martin Luther moment, like, I'm struggling with this sin, this temptation, I can't get out of my mind. I think I'll sleep with no blankets for the rest of the summer or without AC on or something like that. Because that, if I buffet my body, that'll do it. That'll have that trial. So you can fall into a form of godliness that denies its power in a 
big broad way. Yes? I feel like what we're getting at is the power for me to be transformed is not within my power. Exactly. It's the Spirit's power working Christ's grace in us as we use the means of grace to come to trust and treasure Christ more. That's the power in the Spirit. And when we get to that in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at different ways Satan wants to wreck all that. He'd love you to be here at church every Sunday morning, but he will do whatever he can to detach the power from the, the means. So that you will do the means without the power, and you'll feel good and be proud of it, that you're getting so humble. We're going to be talking about habit and some unbiblical views of habit. And one way or the other, yeah, you know, righteousness become, can become easier and easier. But I don't think this side of heaven, righteousness is always going to be easy. I think it's easier. I think that's what the feedback loops are all about. So when you love your wife more and she starts to respect you more and you love more her more and she respects you more and, oh, this is sweeter. <laughs> it's not bad obeying Christ because, wow, it's paying off. And all of a sudden she goes through six or seven or eight weeks, usually just after Mother's Day, of course. Um, you know, just wrecks your life, okay? <laughs> no, 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 okay. So what, what, what you do there is like, oh, wait a second. I, I can't transfer my motivation to the sweet side effects. I, I love my wife because Christ loves me. So because he loves me and the way he loves me is the way I am to love my wife and why I love my wife. So how you relate to your wife reflects exactly your worship to the Lord. So Jesus takes it personally when your relationships are messed up. Because one way or the other, you are messed up with him. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at here. So what I'm saying is, you may do the right thing and not always consciously think, oh, this is what I treasure about Christ, you know, that's motivating it. But you scratch the surface of any Christian and some sort of cross blood from the cross will come out. So when you go to the New Testament, there is a Christ-centered person or work reason indicative for every imperative. So you may not always be conscious of it, but as you grow in Christ, that will be under the surface pretty close, pretty close there. And, and we're, we're anticipating some of the things that we'll talk about more in the detail in the future, so hold on to that and revisit it if you don't feel it's clearer later. So where we are today, we're back at relating, and where do you run? So that's the, the end of our series. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to perhaps finish up how do you relate. I'd like input here, because I'll tell you the reason why. I teach, as you know, biblical counseling and marriage and family and other things in multiple schools around the world. And when I get to this part of dealing with this, as I did in December in Novi Sad in Serbia, the class looks at me with glazed eyes and says, we could spend forever here. And the answer is, yes, you could. Then I immediately remind them, because you know, I'm part of the faculty, so I can kind of lay on them the, the, the faculty's wisdom here. And they say, that's because in this Bachelor of Theology classes they're doing, they have three classes that deal with relationships. Mine, where relationships is a good chunk in the middle of the week, like we are in here. And then marriage and family, where most of the week is talked about what the gospel looks like in that relationship of marriage and kids, grandkids and grandparents. And then they have one more course, which is taught by my colleague, really wonderful guy from 
Tucson, Arizona, who teaches the Peacemaker class, which is all about resolving conflict. So I usually remind my students and say, if you leave, please don't blame me because you've got three courses to cover this kind of thing. And I want to say the same thing here because otherwise my temptation will be, I just keep on going and you'll say, I want more. And what we should really think about is like, what would be better for this congregation and who and what and, and do something in a different setting. Okay, here we go. Then we'll be looking at where do you run for refuge. And then I trust at the very, very end, I like to end with where I always like to end, at the cross. At the cross is the sufficiency of Jesus Christ to reclaim your identity. That's deep motivational drive number two. Reorder your desires. That's deep motivational drive number one. And reframe your future. Jesus in your life. Okay, I like to end with that. So we'll get there in the next couple of weeks, Lord willing. Today, I'd like to show this clip from Peacemaker Ministries of these two people fighting. So this is not Pastor Brown coming up and you know doing a counseling session of Adam and Eve over money, but this is, a, I think, a well-done thing. We're going to stop a halfway through. I tested the sound. It sounds, I think, okay. I'm going to just go a couple minutes into this and we stop. And then we're going to ask some questions of what you heard, what you've seen. Okay, I'll, I'm going to tell you the minimum here. This couple had been to church and the sermon was about repentance. So my title is How Sinful Relational Patterns Starting with Gospel Shape Repentance. And they have a very, very poor attempt at starting. You know, hats off to them that they're going to try. But we're going to get halfway through, talk it about a little bit, and then watch the second half and then talk about Ed, okay? Well, sit down. I thought it would be good if we talked. You? You want to talk? Are you feeling okay? What's the matter with you? Just forget about it. Forget it. Well, I was only kidding. What do you want to talk about? Come well, on. I don't know. I was listening to the sermon today, and I just thought, well, there's some things we could talk about. Sure. I think that would be great, Jack. Yeah. So what's on your mind? I just thought it would be good if we talked a little bit about repentance. Okay, that's fine. That, that's a great idea. So what do you want to say? Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and start? <laughs> 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 no, no, why don't you tell us some of the stuff you need to repent of? Well, that's part of what I wanted to talk about. Well, well, you don't think you have any sin? You don't have anything to repent about? I didn't say that. I just said that you're the one who wanted to start this crazy conversation, so why should I be the one to start repenting? Well, that's part of what we need to talk about. I think you have some things to repent of. I think you want to repent about starting this whole conversation. You asked me into this just to get me to apologize about it. Well, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Well, I'm not saying we both don't have something to repent of. We both have something to repent of. Oh, yeah? Well, then why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, I will. All right, go. I'm going I'm ready. Uh, well, okay, remember last year when I said I was going to clean out the garage and I never did? I feel bad about that. <laughs> That's your repentance. Oh, this isn't a laughing matter. What's so funny? Oh, me too. I was going to clean the basement. I never did. I've been devastated ever since. Oh, not only will you not repent, but now you're making fun of my repentance. Oh, yeah, so now I don't know how to repent. What do you mean a little deeper? Well, I can think of a thousand things you could repent of. And believe me, I'm going to have to reach all the way back to last year for you. Oh, really? <laughs> like, how about the way you're always demanding your own 
way around here. Oh, huh? for Pete's sake. What about your anger? My anger? What about my anger? <laughs> now, Sarah, how about the way you come home from work every day and all you want to do is watch TV? Oh, what about yeah. the way you well, what about the way you... You're not spending enough time with the kids. What about the way you're always criticizing me and everything else around here, huh? What about the way you're always going out and spending money we don't have? What about the way you're on the phone gossiping with people? What about the way you bark as loud as you possibly can? Burping! Burping! I'm supposed to respect about such a head just please what a mother mouth you are! You don't even think about what you're gonna say next. Yeah! Look at the pot talking to the kettle now! Yeah, well. I just hope you heard that sermon, and I hope and pray that by some miracle's intrusion, just one Yeah! Yeah! Well. Well, what? Well, this isn't turning out exactly like I planned. Okay, we're going to stop right there for a moment. So far, a hopeless couple, right? You don't identify with any of this here, right? No, 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 no. no nobody here identifies with any of this, right? Okay, first question. How long do you think this couple has been married? 11 years. They have other videos in the series, so they've been, they have kids and stuff, so... How long, just by that snippet of what you left, how long do you think they've been arguing like this? Years. Oh, a long time, right? Remember the question that we had Chris ask Adam and Eve here, uh, how do your arguments end? And, well, we, we just both just back off and quit, go to our room or whatever, and we don't bring it up. See, nothing's solved, okay? The pattern with both of them in that situation was that they avoid each other, so... We don't know exactly the pattern here. You've only heard a few things here. But it does, does it sound like they've ever talked about repentance before? No. I, I wouldn't no, think. <laughs> Probably some and, and pretty. Yeah. If they heard a sermon like this earlier in their marriage, maybe or maybe not, they would have had an argument like this. Would you agree? Right. What generates that kind of explosion? What kinds of things are they talking about? What kinds of sins, okay, I, I don't know how to phrase the question, you know, like, is she talking, uh, like, in the other situation three weeks ago, we brought out Eve's anxiety and, and his frustration and so forth. So that's kind of inward, okay, things. Here, did, did you hear any of that here? What kinds of things were they accusing each other or that he wanted to repent of? What, what kind of things did you hear? What, what did he repent of? He wasn't repenting. While he was listening to that sermon, he was thinking of her the whole time. Well, when he started, what did he repent of? He actually said one thing. So he admits, okay, we're going to put husband over here. So he actually says, so this is good. There's some words out of his mouth. He says, let's talk. Okay? Is that good about the sermon? Would you agree? Let's talk this over here. We'll repent. We'll talk about repentance. Then we have the first failure, and the very first failure is that moment, so we're going to have derail. I can't do a train going off the tracks, so we're just going to say derailed, okay? And derail number one was when he said, you start, start. right, exactly, (laughs) you start, okay? And that's right here, okay? And those words out of his mouth said, you start. Okay, but he had actually said, well, okay, what, what happens next? Uh, wife over here. First thing out of her mouth, other than, yeah, sure, Jack, let's talk. And that's okay. We could actually put that over there on the good side. But 
what does she start with in response to him saying, you go first, okay? So I have a couple of words there, descriptive anyway, okay? Belittles him, right? Okay, belittles. And then she is pretty good at confessing his sins, okay? And then, wait a second, he's not guilty because he ends up doing the same. Okay, so what happens there is, I have a great quote here, page 38. I confess your sins to myself with bitterness. I can't believe she did that to me. I confess your sins to other people and gossip. Didn't he say that? Let me tell you what you said about me to others, okay? I confess your sins to God seeking vengeance. She said that. I hope and pray that the sermon really changes your heart, right? I confess your sins to God all the time and pray that you'll repent. The last one here is again by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp. I confess your sins to you in anger. Any hint of that here? How dare you do such a thing to me? What was one of the sins that she then lists? The one that's the most hilarious moment, but let's talk about it more seriously there. Yeah, burping, right? Burping. Why is she so livid? And why is he so livid in his response? So they went from sitting down nicely to talk about the sermon to fits of rage in about, what, 34 seconds? Got it, right? Remember her words, as loud as you possibly can, right? (laughs) What kind of setting, if you asked her, what kind of setting are you remembering? Probably with company. Right? You get only hints here and in the latter part of the deep motivational drives, okay? Maybe you start getting hints that the one that really she cares about most is not being looked at, embarrassed by other people. Now, the three deep motivational drives, remember comfort, pleasure, security. Three weeks ago with Adam and Eve, they both landed there, but for different ones. Him for pleasure and comfort, and then Eve for security. Well, that could be hers. Remember, all of us want all three all the time. And when it becomes sinful is when we're willing to sin to get a created thing or person to meet that, or sin to get it back, or sin to keep from losing it. Right? So you start to get hints there. But they did, right there, in that snippet, every single one of those things. Why do you think he was so livid about burping? I said he thought it was trivial. Trivial, right. So... One of the things that pride will do, and we haven't talked about pride yet, is minimize sin, okay? I want to minimize it, and you better keep it minimal too, right? Works both ways. Okay, the other one is, fill in the word, this is sort of like wheel of fortune, buy a bowel, what's the rest of the word? Okay, he might be thinking like most men, can I throw this one out? Okay, burping, burping. I can't control that. And she's assuming that I'm doing it, not only willingly, but as loud as I can, right? So what's the word? Intentional. So pride will keep you to only wanting to look at intentional sins. Okay, that's two there. Okay, then was it in this first half that they said, yeah, that would be great, repent, you know, because we could use a little... Did they say something like to the effect of, you know, how we can, we need a little bit more peace around here? Okay. So part of it is, as I asked you before, how long do you think they've been married? Do you think they've had a fight like this when the pastor previously taught on repentance? Maybe not. 
But why is it now? A lot of things building up and never dealt with, do you think? You'd have to ask more questions to know if that's really the case here. But in that short snippet of what you already watched, I think you can start to see hints that way. So you kind of want to know how their arguments end. And we don't really have enough to go on here, but one of the other things we're going to throw up here is bad motives, or I'm simply going to put down, or inadequate Christian motives, you're just going to negotiate. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. We'll tone the whole level down, and at least both of us can sort of think, well, our marriage will survive for a little bit, but they're not thriving. They're not glorifying God. Do you see that? So you can have a peace-taking, and that's the language that Peacemaker works on, how people peace fake. And that's another thing that pride will do. It has a form of godliness, no transformation. You see that? So what happens next? Well, to his credit, I think, what you have is he's back on track again. What does he say? It's the garage. That's the end. I'm sorry. He he says the garage. Okay, so he's belittling him. He's back on track. Okay, okay, I will. Oh, well, okay. And I, I feel bad about the garage. To which then she goes back and says, burp. Okay? Okay, and belittles and burps. You know, you got the idea. And then he really does get back on track a third time. Give him credit here, okay? Maybe her prayers did something about the sermon affecting him. Because not working out and he knows it right now many couples will not even get to there would you admit right so we're going to talk a little bit more about how you would help this couple and as we look at the next session a couple minutes here and finish the video i want you to think ahead saying okay alan has this crazy idea that we can grow in christ in such a way that if our marriage works through this kind of thing we can one another in fact the lord wants us to one another each other and one another in a couple like this so when we watch this next part think intentionally at the end because the story's not over but it ends in a sweet spot i can tell you that in the head but i want to tell you watch the next part and say what will it look like if at the end of there the couple says I'm going to have Pastor Brown and another godly couple in the church come help us keep on going. And then we're going to talk about, like, how do three trees help you help them? So, again, we're thinking the model here. Let's look at these things down here and then just look at We should define repentance a little bit here. Yes, Chris. The Lord has worked with me through this thing of unintentional sins, pride, and we try to minimize those. Can you elaborate a little bit on that? Unintentional sins, yeah. yeah. I'll address it a little bit here. So repentance, you know what the the New Testament word is? Matineo. What does that strictly mean? Change of mind. Change of mind about sin. Is it really sin? Well, keep on going here. Two. Remember, anything not done in faith is sin. Remember? So you want, I think there's a couple passages like that you could work into to answer that question. The second one is about me. So you don't confess other people's sins, you confess your sin. Uh, Three, the effect on others. I think the passage where when it says if your brother has something against you, leave your offering and go, that comes to mind. It says it comes to mind. See, I think that kind of setting Jesus is referring to, he said it and I just took it lightly. But to him, I really wronged him, okay? So sin uses an objective criteria, 
of the effect on the other person and considering that. So that's a short answer, but I think a longer one could be given. That's the kind of thing I would really like to encourage you to kind of think about in the future. What do you like to expand on the, here? Okay, third one is, and the most important one actually, we're gonna come back to that in a second about repentance at the end of the video. Because okay, the way we go forward depends entirely on your answer to that question. I mean, I can just be so obnoxious sometimes, you know? Yeah, I know. <laughs> so anyway, I guess I should have started out by telling you what I was thinking about first, you know, when I heard this term rather than trying to make you repent. What was that? Well, well, I'm an angry man. I yell at you and the kids all the time. Well, I am. I'm an angry man. It's just like you said. It's because I want my way all the time. And when I don't get my way, I, I yell and scream and go berserk and fly off the handle. I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I know things aren't right around here. And I think a lot of it's my fault. Oh, Jack, it's not just you. I mean, you know, I... No, you don't have to repent. didn't mean to put pressure on you. It's just... I mean, I can just be so arrogant, you know? Yeah, I know. Will you stop agreeing with me? <laughs> you notice he let the first one go by? But not that one. That's the way I do it. I want to be gone. You know, I, I want everything to go according to my plan. I want to control everything. And when it goes... According to my plan, I want to be prayed. And when it doesn't, then I want you to feel my wrath. You know, I just want to be God. Oh, he just went a long way from being sorry about not cleaning out the garage to repenting about being God. <laughs> well, that's true. No, I'm sorry. And, and I want to be different. I want things to change, you know? No, Jack. I, and you're right. I am a very critical person. And you know why I think that is. Mm. It's because I think I'm God. And, and so I know what's best for everybody, and I've got to tell them. It's not easy being Mr. and Mrs. God, is it? <laughs> so, Honey, I'm sorry. <laughs> what should we do, though? I mean, how do we repent? Well, I'm just so proud of you for taking the first step. And, you know, it means so much to me to hear you say these things. Yeah, I feel bad. So, what do you think? Should we... Uh, you know, <laughs> <maybe pray>. <laughs> <laughs> On your sheet, you just have a couple blanks there. What did you see in here? This is from the first one, okay? Absolutely no mention of any particular discrete events. Well, a lot of discrete sins, confessing each other's, the garage, you know, shopping, uh, gossip, burping, all those things, right? but no in particular setting. And, and that's because they're just pulling out off the calendar all sorts of different sins, okay? There's only hints at what the deep motivational drives of the sin of the pattern. There's only hints at how, what their pattern after many years of a close relationship are like. How do they solve problems? Obviously not, but we don't know exactly what their pattern are. Are they both people who at the certain level of decibels, they walk away from each other like Adam and Eve three weeks ago, they just avoid, they have a truce marriage. Okay, truth marriage. Okay, it's peace faking. Nothing gets resolved. You don't really know that. So if you sat down with them, you would ask them more questions about that kind of thing. But what happened here in the second half? Everything that they've said, he said a few good things over here. Okay, and I should have put that as red as well. 
actually all these three I put on his side under the husband because they were all good statements. Do you see that? He keeps getting derailed, but he comes back. She never gets anywhere good till now. And of the thorns over here, they both have thorns over here. He confesses her sins to her. She confesses his sins to him and so forth. But finally, we move away from burp and garage and gossip and money and then says finally we went where well where does the three trees model would move you to from here to where cross. now <laughs> to the cross and ultimately right but they stop talking about discrete sins and each other's and they say two things about themselves which is really i put on the inside of the heart here and it actually goes over here Okay, it's a good thing to say. It says, I am an angry man. Now that's acknowledging anger here, but he's over on that side saying, that's wrong, and I should be over here, and I don't quite know how to get there. Okay, and then she says what? I'm a very critical person. Those are words, but the sins are not words. That's her attitude, right? So I am, she says, critical. And then finally, they make the final step to I am God, right? So they're confessing I am God. So now, sins, real sins committed to each other, are they repentable? Which way? To whom? I want to be God is a sin that's repentable to who? To the Lord, right. So when we get to the cross, we end at them coyly looking at each other and saying, what shall we do? And it ends with one word, prayer. So what do you think they should pray about? If the subject is repentance. I'm going to put an up arrow and a this arrow. Right? You know what I'm talking about there, don't you? Right? Repentance to the Lord and the repentance to each other. Pride is running this little thing over here. And this is where they finally admit it. Pride is self-centered, self-promoting, self-protecting, self-righteous. And I want to minimize, leave it to only intentional. And I want peace at any cost, at least allowing me to function. Thank you. Okay? That's what pride does even when it has a fake veneer of godliness to it. If it leads to repentance without the cross, it's hollow and it's empty and still self-serving. Do you see that? We just don't manage sin in the household of God. We kill it. We kill it by replacing it with a superior satisfaction of all who Christ is and does and has for us. So if it's not a humble repentance, and I think we're getting there with this couple, not a humble repentance, then you won't have this. And it's happening because of this talk, which is confessing that they're over here and should be there. Proverbs 20, verse 5 is an interesting verse. Can somebody look that up real quick? Purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Yeah, that's one another thing. One another thing. So now I want to reimagine. We're almost out of time, but let's reimagine real, real, real quick here that they call Pastor Brown and say, Can you come with another godly couple? We're here. 
and we're not quite sure what that looks like there. But what you're going to do is you're probably going to ask more questions over here about the patterns of what kind of stressors. So remember, he wants the garage. For a year and a half, he never cleaned the garage. That hints at, I like my lazy boy because I'm L-A-Z-Y. And that is comfort, pleasure, security, right? I have a big, busy job. I plant lawns, trees, and everything. I come home. I want lazy boy, and I didn't do the garage. I love it more than I love God. And I love my lazy boy more than I love my wife. Do you see that? Right? So you want to draw out those patterns of stressors, what he loves the most, more than Christ and his wife, and what kind of patterns, because you want to replace those patterns. After 11, 15, or 20 more years of marriage, if you haven't hit your patterns, you end up like Lucy and I. No, 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 no. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You know, listen, if you don't nail those patterns to the cross, you're never going to fly for the glory of God after 52 years. Not, you're just not going to go there. So you need intelligent repentance, real genuine faith and treasure in the living Christ, and specific obedience that replaces the bad patterns with good ones. So you're going to talk, talk about, well, you obviously go to church because you responded to a message on repentance. Wonderful. Do you do Bible with each other? Nope. Do you have good fellowship other, with other people in the church who would call you into account and one another you? No. Well, you know where you're going to go with that, aren't you? Right? So you see how three trees move you to the left? By asking more questions on the right and replacing it with over the left. You can't control the circumstances, but you can change their heart. Do you see that? He is always going to come home Friday exhausted. He's always going to have that temptation of the lazy boy. And he's got to love Christ more than his lazy boy. Got it? And loving Christ more. Incidentally, it just might make his love for his wife better. Don't you think? I hope so. Okay, last but not least, and I'll end with this, four books. I've already shown you books that you can read on marriage, relationships, and so forth. We all have relationship problems, do we? Anybody here not have any relationship problem? Ever at all? Okay. I think the man who had that is in heaven. The only one who qualifies there. But the very first booklet... How to deal with difficult people. No one's interested in it. I know, but I put it on there anyway. Okay? Six months ago when I was in Serbia, that's what we went through on the last day in my class. And they had to do an assignment on it. It was really, really cool. And it's really neat. By the way, all these authors went to CCEF, Christian Counseling Educational Foundation at Westminster. We studied with all these people. We love what they write. Number two, Conflict by Tim Blaine. You saw his name already. In the middle of that little bucket, about 20 pages, he relates conflict to your deep motivational drives. wonder why, because he knows who he's talking about. All these books are intensely practical. The last half usually says 5, 10, 15 practical steps for change. Not theory, blow your mind theology. No, it's, it's, it's sanctification and working clothes and with sneakers. Got it? Number three, a book I'm sure nobody's interested in here, dealing with difficult parents. And thankfully, it's not difficult mothers, because that would be a terrible book to have on Mother's Day, right? By Jim Neuheiser, one of our professors and supervisors, actually. He's a Charlotte. Great guy. Last one here. Toxic relationships. Big subject. Ellen Mary Dykus we went to Westminster with, and she's in a wonderful ministry there, uh, counseling women. She writes a wonderful book there, and we also have 
and this will be up here on the chair. We have about six or seven copies of a little short thing that she wrote two weeks ago on steps to take if you're in a toxic relationship and you don't know how to get out. But why we're offering this is not just simply to help you, but show you there's wonderful resources in any relationship problem you have in your life so that you may grow to glorify God in all your relationships because you can't change the people put in your life because the Lord is sovereign in putting them there. Right? So you can behold his glory and glorify him in every relationship. This message was produced by the New Testament Reformation Fellowship, reforming today's church with New Testament church practices. Permission is hereby granted for you to reproduce this message. You can find us on the web at www.ntrf.org. May God bless you as you seek to follow Him in complete obedience to His Word. May your faith in the Lord Jesus be strengthened and your daily walk with Him deepened.